is this the picture you had in mind when you imagined what our new year would look like? This week we track the outsized role our area played in this week's remarkable events. For those who have concerns about the integrity of our elections, those who have concerns about what happened in November, this is the appropriate means. I think I owe it to the people of Kansas. I owe it to, to future generations to make sure that we have a safe and secure, uh, a free election system. Plus, we track the week's other big local issues of newsmakers, the big openings and big closings. Straight ahead. A man and a woman. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlies Gorley, Haas and Wilkerson Insurance, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Hello, I'm Nick Haynes. Welcome and Happy New Year to you. I have to say that usually the very first few days of the year make for a very slow news week. Not this year. This half hour, four perspectives to help make sense of it all. From KCMO Talk Radio, Pete Mundo is with us. From the pages of the Kansas City Star, Dave Helling. Nationally syndicated columnist for the Tribune News Service, Mary Sanchez. And the editor of the Call newspaper, Eric Wesson. Just a few caveats before we begin. This is a pre-recorded program, and as you know, things can change rapidly. You need to know that. And let me also begin by saying this is not the United States of America in review, so we're not going to dissect every political dimension of what's happening in Washington. But as senators from Kansas and Missouri played an outsized role in the critical events of the week, we want to track their motivations and what happens now. Rockhurst High School graduate, now Missouri Senator Josh Hawley, was the first senator in the nation to challenge the Electoral College vote. He would be joined by a Kansas doctor, now Senator Roger Marshall. I actually think it's very vital what we do. The opportunity to be heard, to register objections is very vital because this is the place where those objections are to be heard and dealt with, debated and finally resolved. I think I owe it to the people of Kansas. I owe it to, to future generations to make sure that we have a safe and secure, uh, a free election system. Now, Hawley and Marshall were among a small handful of senators who decided to continue to pursue objections to the election results, even after protesters breached the Capitol building. Both must have known they would be ridiculed and condemned for the move. So what was the motivation for sticking their necks out? Let's start with Josh Hawley, who was the very first senator to challenge the presidential electoral college count. It's claimed this was about him trying to position himself for a run for the presidency in 2024. Is there more to it than that, Pete Mundo? I, I think that he may genuinely believe uh, some of what he was was going to do or did do on Wednesday night. But uh, let's be honest, I do think the political ambitions were first and foremost. Uh, there's going to be a, a challenge to see who can get the most of the Republican and the Trump base in four years. And Josh Hawley, it's no secret, has an interest in doing that. And I think that politics were a lead play. But, um, you know, I think Rand Paul, who is a, a very solid conservative guy, he put it well. I mean, if you are a believer in states' rights and you are a believer in the electoral college system, which has benefited the Republican Party, in my lifetime, the popular vote has been won by Republicans once. This is not really a, one, a road you want to go down, a can of worms you want to open up. And those were legitimate concerns. And uh, I think that just uh, political ambition topped the list. Well, Kansas City Star editorial board said Josh Hawley was putting political ambition before the needs of the country, Dave Helling. But what about, say, Roger Marshall? He's not running for re-election. He's not looking to become president in four years. So why would he stick his neck out in this way? 
Well, that's an interesting question, and I'm not sure it's answerable at this point, Nick, because it's hard to see an immediate advantage politically for Roger Marshall in taking one of his first steps as a senator to enrage so many people like this. Uh, so I think in the days to come, we'll see why he uh, came to a divide in the road from Jerry Moran, who will face voters in a couple of years, and of course, who voted to uh, not sustain the objections to the votes. Let me just say this about Josh Hawley. If he has presidential ambitions, which I believe he does, they took an enormous hit based on what happened yesterday. He will, and not so much for what he said on the floor, but the photograph of the junior senator with a raised fist outside the U.S. Capitol will be in every advertisement that somebody runs against him for the rest of his career. And I think that if he had those ambitions, they're in serious jeopardy now. Eric. I agree with Dave. I think that turning point... Well, here, here's my million-dollar question. You had the two senators from Pennsylvania that endorsed the vote. How do you have a senator from Missouri when Missouri's got a laundry list of issues worry about what somebody else in Pennsylvania did when the Pennsylvania Supreme Court made a ruling and did what they did? You got Pennsylvania lawmakers, and here you got a guy from Missouri worrying about what they're doing in Pennsylvania. You got one of the highest murder rates in the country in the state of Missouri, and you're worrying about what Pennsylvania's doing. But, but, to but, me, but, that's mind-boggling. Yeah. But, but could that be, though, Mary, that the concern that if you take a lenient approach to how you count votes in any state, that's going to actually make it harder for even these politicians here, whether it be a Josh Hawley or a Roger Marshall, uh, from getting elected themselves? Reelected. Well, that's that's the argument, and certainly he'll try and put that forward. As you know, Dave just said, we'll see how this plays out. And you're right; some of that footage will be played as he tries to run for office again. Um, you know, where it goes from here, frankly, I mean, I think that's a question for America right now. As much as many of us were horrified by the fact that Hawley stuck with it in that argument, there is a whole other portion of America that was not. Mm -hmm. And I think he knows that. And as people forget about some of these images, as they say, well, God forbid, but they might say only one person died. You'll forget some of this, soothe it over, and he could still play this to his advantage. I really think that could happen. And it, it's what I fear, but that's the reality of America right now. Okay. Was there, there any... Was there any... Yeah, there was were the four people that died. One got killed, and three others died as a medical emergency. Oh, right. medical right. emergency. Yeah. Was there an upside for Josh Hawley and Roger Marshall, Pete? An upside is, uh, you know, I think for for Hawley, it's what we talked about, um, and I think for Marshall, as a newly elected senator who owes a lot of uh, his primary win, um, and then of course his general election win to uh, to Trump voters, I think he felt like he kind of had to go down this road. I, and let me just be clear too: I do think it's it's understandable to have some concerns over uh, some of the way the states handled their votes, but we have a system. These things were, were pushed to, to judges and the courts, 
and the Supreme Court didn't want to take it up. You cannot like that. People cannot like that. But the system did play itself out. And I think that's the most important thing that has to be gleaned from all of this. Could there be now this other reaction that's taking place? And we're seeing it this week. Cori Bush, the new Missouri congresswoman, calling for um, Josh Hawley to be removed from the United States Senate. We have Sharice Davids in Kansas calling for the impeachment and removal of President Trump from office. Are they overplaying their hand, Dave? Well, we'll see. I mean, there are, it isn't just limited to Cori Bush and Sharice Davids. I mean, there are, there's talk of using the 25th Amendment to remove President Trump for the last couple of weeks. I mean, there is a lot of, of talk of just unique, unprecedented steps because of the concerns that people have. As a practical matter, I don't think Josh Hawley will be removed. I don't think he'll quit. Uh, uh, but but, but let, let's be clear. There was no fraud in the presidential election. There is no other way to say it. It is ridiculous and wrong to conclude by any measure that Donald Trump was not uh, defeated by Joe Biden on November 3rd. To claim that and then to clench your fist in a volatile situation will be an image just much like, by the way, Nick, Chris Kobach, remember with the gun in the back of the Jeep, you know, that that image became part of how people considered him in Kansas. I think that image will follow Josh Hawley forever. You know, Senator Hawley and, said there has been objections to the counting of the Electoral College vote in the past, including four years ago when President Trump won office. These are scenes from this week in 2016. To the 15 votes from the state of North Carolina because of the massive voter suppression and the closing of voting polling booths. I object on behalf of the millions of Americans, including members of the intelligence community. I object to a certificate uh, from the state of North Carolina based on violations of the voting rights no act. Debate. I wish to ask, is there one United States senator who will join me in this letter? There is no debate. There is no debate. Okay, Mary, was that different than to this, other than the protests, of course, breaching the state capitol? Were, were, these, were these objections different than four years ago? It was, and well, the protests, and I mean, the, the velocity and the, the dramatic nature of how the vote is being challenged this time, and this whole argument that it was voter fraud, that is still so alive in America. And frankly, Chris Kobach, you know, reel it all the way back. This has been growing. Absolutely. We've always had questions as we should. We should question voting, make sure that it's actually, you know, being done fairly. We've always do, done that. That's why we have the Voting Rights Act. That's why we reauthorize the Voting Rights Act. That's why the courts have looked at this stuff. But as Dave just said, there was no fraud in this presidential election. But the fact that those sorts of messages keep continue to play out, is because they have been growing for a while. And you can look at Chris Kobach from years ago and trace it forward to this moment in time right now. It wasn't just our area Republicans making big news this week. So was Kansas City Democratic Congressman Emanuel Cleaver, but for different reasons. Local Congressman Emanuel Cleaver is drawing national attention for a prayer. A man and a woman. Social media lit up with criticism. Newt Gingrich saying the radical madness has begun. Kleber insisted it was a lighthearted pun. So why did his words spur such a torrent of criticism this week, Pete Mundo? 
Um, <laughs> you know, I think it was just kind of an easy way to goof on him. If I'm Emmanuel Cleaver, I, I wouldn't be doing any stand-up comedy anytime soon. His <laughs> delivery fell flat. That's the problem. Uh, you know, he was going tongue-in-cheek, and I think most people that critiqued him were kind of just like, hey, I, I don't know what he was going for there, but it fell incredibly flat. So I viewed it as just, a, you know, an easy way to goof on him uh, more than anything else. Was he surprised by the backlash, Eric? Uh, no, he just kind of blew it off as people not having a sense of humor because the way he he did it, he felt was kind of lighthearted in the moment. But there were a lot of people that were offended. Uh, I haven't talked to him. I got a text from him yesterday while they were moving the uh, the uh, members of Congress out of the Capitol building, and he seemed like he was okay. So. He was kind of surprised, but it wasn't really surprising. The, the prayer came on the same day that the House uh, uh, voted to remove he or she from the chamber's official documents, uh, Mary Sanchez, stripped gender terms like mother and father, husband or wife from House rules. Was Cleaver's prayer caught in the crossfire of that? I think it was. And some of the pushback, you know, granted, I agree with um, Pete, some of the, perhaps the delivery, it was kind of, you know, this pratfall that didn't quite work verbally. Um, but it is there is an awful lot of pushback from people who do not want to see transgender people recognized. They are still arguing about gay and lesbian. I mean, it's just, that whole world of where we are in terms of acceptance and language matters. That group of people that don't want to go there, that don't want to accept Supreme Court rulings on this, they're the ones that kind of churn and push back often on that. But it's, you know, I found it kind of funny in a way, but I, I can see this deeper thread that is much more significant. Now, this week, frontline healthcare workers in Kansas City were getting their second dose of the coveted coronavirus vaccine. The news comes amid questions as to how the shots are being distributed and to who. There have been some reports of critical care workers still waiting for the vaccine, which sparked criticism of Kansas Governor Laura Kelly, who was rolling up her sleeve this week to get the coveted dose, along with Kansas City Mayor Quinton Lucas. It didn't set well with Weekend Review viewer John in Kansas City, who said the mayor was just 36 years old with no pre-existing conditions. Yet there are senior and healthcare workers that are still waiting to take the vaccine. That is extremely selfish. Does it send the wrong message when our public officials get first dibs ahead of first responders and essential workers, Dave? Well, I think the mayor has said, and I think there's some truth in this, and not just for the mayor, by the way, but members of Congress and others, that uh, uh, taking pictures of them getting the vaccine is actually a pretty good thing. It will encourage others to get it, particularly, I must say, African-Americans who are skeptical about the vaccine. Seeing the mayor get the shot uh, uh, was probably a good thing. And look, the shot he got is not really depriving someone else of, of the vaccination because the rollout has been so chaotic. And I must say, in Kansas particularly, there are concerns, but in Missouri as well, in every state, uh, I, I'm writing an editorial on this. There have been almost 18 million doses of vaccine delivered to the states. Five million have actually gone into arms at this point. At this pace, it'll take eight years to inoculate everyone in the United States. So that, that's a, a whole different issue. I think there will be people worried about the mayor. But in the long run, I don't think it was that uh, destructive. But it was also happening in a week where Kansas Governor Laura Kelly was under criticism as the CDC puts out a list of the states with the Correct. lowest vaccination rates, Pete Mundo, and Kansas comes in dead bottom. 
Yeah, and uh, you know they said Osage. They said all 105 counties got the vaccine. Osage County is saying we haven't seen any of it yet. Uh, it's it's been a really really poor leadership job on that side of the state between ranking last in the country in in getting the vaccine out, last in economic recovery, near the bottom of the uh, list in the 50 states in terms of testing. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways to critique uh, ways politicians and governors have handled this across the country, but one of the worst jobs being done is Laura Kelly in Kansas. But they said Quickly, Nix, Osage County got vaccine. It just didn't go to the health department, at least according to the Kansas Department of Health and Environment. So just to clear up that record. And, but, but the overall criticism of Laura Kelly is very valid, in part because she blamed this on a paperwork software training problem. She uses a lot of dog ate my homework excuses for not only this, but unemployment insurance this year, testing in the state of Kansas, distribution of the vaccine. At some point, the buck has to stop, and it has to stop with Laura Kelly. And uh, in this case, I think uh, the criticism uh, has some validity. This has actually been much more flexible even than I thought, though, Mary, because even for the medical workers, um, it is really on an honor system. And so there have been reports of hospital administrators getting the uh, vaccine before people who are even working on COVID wards have had a chance to get it. Well, some of that came out of the state of Florida. But, of course, any time that you have an opportunity for people to overreach and take something that isn't theirs, human nature does play in. And we've seen that already, which, you know, this is partly why you need strong leadership at that state level and that trickles down, or frankly, it should have started at the federal level. We've already lost that argument. We saw what happened yesterday in the Capitol. Um, but at the state level, and they need to start working with all these county health administrators, many of whom have had to quit. They didn't have to quit, but they did quit just because of this horrific backlash against wearing masks even. So we're in a horrible place where we need to, for the good of public health, have leadership really step up and ensure that these systems are there so that the people get the vaccine. I want to move on, but I want to bring in Eric Weston for a moment because Dave Helling said, you know, it was very important for the African-American community to see uh, like the mayor getting the vaccine because of concerns. Did Were there anybody who looked at that and said, wow, I, I was concerned before, now I want the vaccine? Nobody that I've talked to or heard from. I think people in the African-American community that were going to take the shot are going to take the shot, and people that aren't going to take the shot aren't going to take it, and those that are on the fence will wait and see how the reactions and what the side effects are for other people. You have, I guess they're going to have a rollout of uh, media to help encourage people of color and minorities to take the shot, but we'll, I don't... Because he took it, I don't feel like I need to go run and get in line. It's been a bad week for retail in Kansas City. Luxury jeweler Tiffany & Company announcing it's departing the Country Club Plaza. The store opened in 2004. Hellsberg Diamonds will also close at the end of the month after 70 years on the plaza. Meanwhile, a spate of violence has prompted a seven-day-a-week curfew at one of our larger shopping malls. Unsupervised minors are now banned from Independence Center after 3 p.m. But the hits keep coming, this time from one of its largest anchor stores. Macy's announcing it's leaving Independence Center as part of a national restructuring. These are two very different stories, but both are prompting larger concerns about the future of our local shopping centers. Should we be concerned about the future of Independence Center? Should we be concerned about the future of the Country Club Plaza, Dave? Well, yes. And in fact, we've talked about that on this show before. Uh, Independence Center, particularly 
uh, may become the target. You know, when I first came to Kansas City, Bannister Mall was considered one of the eighth wonders of the world, you know, and, and it's, of course, been, you know, bulldozed. Uh, and Independent Center may face a similar fate. You know, in-person brick-and-mortar retail is under pressure in every city in America. And the plaza is not immune from that, Nick. And, uh, you know, what used to be sort of a, particularly in the age of COVID, when, when, you know, strolling through the streets, stopping for a cup of coffee, maybe picking up something at a, at a store somewhere along the line was a thing to do. It's very difficult to do now. I'd be very worried if I were Kansas City officials about the health of that institution and trying to figure out a way to transition away from in-person retail to something else in that, in that iconic district. I would be remiss if I didn't mention in our Year in Review show when we asked our panelists what institution may disappear in Kansas City in 2021. Eric Wesson, you said Macy's. I absolutely do. You can thank me later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Independence Mall is basically, as Dave said, it's on the same course as Bannister Mall. It's just in a different time frame. Macy's was an anchor, but over the past year and a half, maybe two years, it's kind of like a ghost town going in there. I go there all the time to buy my cologne. And just watching the transition now uh, with people and a new ownership of the mall, they changed the security. The security is not as tight as it was when the other owners had it. You see people running out of the mall with arms full of clothing from Victoria's Secrets, cologne, uh, coats out of Macy's. So the security has gotten lax. Therefore, you get this element in there now that's creating another Bannister Mall. And a curfew fixes that of teenagers, uh, you know, no teenagers after 3 p.m., Pete? I don't think so. I think a lot of it. By the way, Nick, uh, Christmas gift 2021 for Eric. Upgrade the cologne, all right? That's, uh, <laughs> that's the number one. But yeah, I, I think this is really to what Dave said. It's a problem around the nation. It's not unique to Kansas City. It's not going to stay in Kansas City. You've got COVID on top of the fact that people were already shopping more online uh, leading up to all this. So add the pandemic on top of it. It's going to be very, very difficult for some of these uh, big box retail places to, to hang on moving forward. I think a lot of it will keep shifting online. And I should point out also, Mary, we, we, you know, this weekend starts Kansas City Restaurant Week. Uh, there were plans to cancel the event, but restaurant owners are desperate to get anyone to come through their doors. They're suffering too. With local health officials worrying about an uptick in COVID hospitalizations, is it possible there's going to be a new shutdown of restaurants and bars? That act, I heard that prediction um, be made the other day, and I won't because I don't know who wanted it shared. Someone who would know about the business community, has a long history of covering the business community, was saying that actually at the beginning of the year, a lot of restaurants do normally shut down because what they try and do is make it through the holiday season and the big burst of activity. And I think they're still trying to hang on through that and with Restaurant Week. Um, but I think you are going to only see more. They just cannot sustain. There is a, there's a, a low. Uh, it's a low threshold of profit in most restaurants, and this is the pandemic has just gone on too long. What about a shutdown? Do you see that happening, Dave? A shutdown of what? Restaurants, restaurants. and bars. Yeah, oh, it, undoubtedly, Nick, that will continue. Uh, no, I, I'm talking about a shutdown from city officials because of an uptick oh, in COVID the, cases. The mayor, yeah, we interviewed the mayor, uh, the editorial board before Christmas, and then we talked to him on another program yesterday. And you get the sense that Mayor Quentin Lucas particularly 
would like to back away, but is not sure that he can, and in fact may pressure the new commissioners in Johnson County to be more aggressive on this regard. But the public's appetite is, uh, is not for more shutdowns uh, of any businesses by government. Having said that, if you don't fix COVID, Nick, people aren't going to go out to eat or go to the movies or go to shows until they're sure it's safe. That's been true for six months. I think it's still true now. Pete. Yeah. And I will just say, uh, the mayor did say on, on my show Thursday that uh, they may have some some uh, lighter rules and regulations. They may lessen some of these things the next several days. So uh, we'll see if you can hold true to that or what happens there. While retail may be suffering, there's plenty of money being thrown at our criminal justice system. This week, the new nearly $200 million Johnson County Courthouse opens its doors in Olathe. It has been the biggest construction project in Johnson County. We in the news media are quick to find fault when things go wrong. Our delayed or over budget. Was this a project that delivered as promised, Dave? Well, it's quite the, uh, quite the courthouse, Nick, as you've, uh, I'm sure you've seen f photographs of it and they opened it. I've been critical of that project for a long time, A, because it was paid for by a sales tax approved by voters, sales taxes are regressive, and B, the Johnson County Courthouse costs twice as much as the federal courthouse in downtown Kansas City, Missouri. That seems excessive, particularly at a time when other uh, institutions of government have needed to tighten their belts. It got totally lost in all of the news coverage, but on the very same day protesters were storming the U.S. Capitol, Missouri lawmakers returned to Jefferson City to begin a brand new legislative session. Kansas lawmakers will return to Topeka on Monday. Most of the coverage is centered on the health risks of having hundreds of people in close contact with one another in what some opinion writers described as super spreader events. But what about the issues they're dealing with? I noticed this week a Republican lawmaker has introduced a bill in Jefferson City that would change the state constitution, Pete, to legally, legally rather the sale of recreational marijuana. This has traditionally been an issue for the Democrats. Now that Republicans are pushing it, could we see total pot legalization on the ballot in Missouri as a result of the session? Well, I, I don't know what that appetite will be, but I, I don't think it's as unlikely as it may have been uh, just a couple of years ago. I think that uh, the Republican Party in general has become more open uh, to that. And also, let's be honest, there's money there for the state, all right? And in a year and a time when these budget, uh, budgets are getting crushed by COVID, uh, these states are looking for money under every seat cushion they can find. It's a way for them, if they do it right, to obviously raise some tax revenues. And I think that ultimately uh, that may be enough of a selling point for some Republicans who might have been on the fence on this. You know, we fixate on what happens in Washington, D.C., where a lot of major important decisions that affect our lives on a daily basis are happening in our state capitol buildings. These are bills filed this week that would make it a felony, for instance, in Missouri, to publish the home address of a police officer, a bill to protect drivers who run over protesters. There are several bills that would limit the ability of local public health and county leaders to shut down businesses. And a lawmaker has introduced a bill that would require public school districts who are only teaching virtually to foot the bill if a parent decided to send their student to a private school for in-person learning. What issue are you keeping an eye on as lawmakers get to work this week in um, Jefferson City, Eric? I would say the bill about putting uh, police officers' information out in uh, running over protesters. I, 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 I had a difficult time processing the running over protesters. I'm like, how many, how often does that happen versus all the other things that are going on in the state of Missouri? Mary. 
Well, I would to somewhat pig, piggyback on Eric's. One of the things about covering legislatures that I think media always has to be very careful with is just because something was introduced doesn't mean that it has any traction. And you can get headlines sometimes by writing about these have nowhere to go legislative pieces um, when actually maybe they shouldn't have that much attention. So you need to look at what is really behind, what is the motivation and wrapped up in some of that, you know, like taking public dollars that gets into the charter and the vouchers argument, you know, in terms of how are you going to try and spin what's occurring with remote, remote learning. And it's actually part of a bigger argument going forward. The issue of doxing with police, that is obviously wrapped into Black Lives Matter, feelings about that, feelings about protests. Eric's very right about looking at what actually happens. I do know that a lot of law enforcement, though, is very fearful and has always been fearful within their own families, particularly now. There are a lot of families of law enforcement officers who fear for them all the time in the current environment. How realistic is that? How much of that do they need to own? You know, where is that? That's a broader argument. And to me, anything about coverage needs to look at those things in that context, not just looking at a piece of legislation um, kind of on a real surface level. Dave. Well, I'm watching Medicaid expansion in Missouri, Nick. I mean, the voters approved it. Will it be implemented? Uh, how will it be paid for? How much will it cost? That's a huge issue. And then in Kansas and Missouri, we need to pay a lot of attention to redistricting. Because Clean Missouri was repealed in November, the drawing of districts will have an enormous impact on both the state legislature and House seats. There's some talk of trying to gerrymander Emanuel Cleaver's seat, for example. So we need to pay attention to, and Sharice Davids, who is under some uh, pressure now with a veto-proof majority for Republicans in Topeka. So redistricting is important. Uh, it'll get started at least in the next couple of months. And then in Missouri, Medicaid expansion. Now, what about in Kansas, by the way, while there was no violence, hundreds of supporters of President Trump did rally at the State House in Topeka this week. Governor Kelly says she's committed to passing Medicaid expansion in Kansas the session now that the legislature is more conservative as a result of the last election is the chances of that happening now slim to none pete oh yeah i, I don't see any way they've got the uh super majority uh you know the and we talked about it actually on the show nick i think dave actually pointed it out um right after the election and that was the fact that the republicans in the state legislature did much better uh, in places like johnson county picking up more conservative republicans in some of these seats which a lot of people did not anticipate based on how the district and the area had been voting in some of the federal elections uh, that's a huge deal expect them to challenge governor kelly on basically everything. They're already ramping up for a governor's race in 2022. That's going to be hotly contested. And I think that's what it's all going to be about. Um, and I don't think she's going to get a whole lot done and get a whole lot of compromise. Now, as we were on a break from the show over Christmas week and the new year, the Kansas City Star was making national news as it devoted an almost entire edition of the paper to an apology. In the wake of this country's reckoning on race this year, a prominent local newspaper is issuing an apology. In a full-page article, the Kansas City Star told readers, quote, We are sorry. The Star acknowledging its historic role, disenfranchising, ignoring, and maligning generations of black Kansas Cityans in its coverage. It got plenty of national attention from the New York Times and, as you see, from CNN. But did it change any minds locally? Are you patting the Kansas City Star on the back for a job well done, Eric Wesson? No, I'm not. 
Uh, no, I'm not. You know, it's a noble effort. It's an apology that should have been. But I kind of want to get to the elephant in the room. Yesterday, we watched uh, hordes of white people storm the Capitol building. Uh, they were invited in and probably got coffee and donuts. Had those protesters been black, it would have been a bloodbath. It would have been a lot more forced by the police department. The Kansas City Star has, that's the reason why the call exists, is because the way mainstream media uh, projects, portrays black people. And the, the reason why we exist is because we give a perspective of black people from black people by black people. So I think that even though the horse is out of the barn down the street, closing the gate does not negate the fact that the horse is out. The damage has been done. The portrayal of black people in Kansas City has existed for generations based upon their promotion of systematic racism. Some people it's say this. Gesture. I want to see where they go with it, but I wasn't overly impressed with their uh, Articles. Some people say there's no uh, statue of limitations on um, apologies, Mary Sanchez. Wasn't this at least uh, a good start? Well, I think you need to look at it in two different ways. There are two different questions. As far as a group of articles that were done, as the star has done many, many times before, they were wonderfully researched, wonderfully written, very engaging. I mean, as historical documents looking back, that was a little bit more inward than normal. Was it a surprise that of what they found? I, I don't think so at all. I mean, it was kind of, I don't know if it was an elephant in the room, but of course not. Um, the, the quality of what was produced is certainly worthwhile. Does it have any more meaning? That's a whole different question. I mean, frankly, there is nothing brave or bold about admitting to something that occurred when almost no one who's in positions of power was even alive. We're talking about 50, 100 years ago events. The most recent was 77 with the flood. And I found that, again, all of it very fascinating. Any institution, and not just media, and, th and this is this is happening, these sorts of stories are being produced all around the nation. It's not a new idea it, it, because it's a good idea. It's being picked up by a lot. But for it to mean any more, it would have to be taken at a whole different level. And it's not something that would have to be done publicly outward because you really couldn't legally. But if an institution wants to look at, look, this is where we were as an institution. And that is a framework, that is systemic racism that we've admitted to now. Now, how did we as an institution go forward through all the changes that have just been horrific and very difficult for the Kansas City Star? All the layoffs, all the new ownerships. How were things incentivized? How was diversity incentivized? Was that good ways? How was it done? How did it shift the newsroom? That's the sort of deep systemic look that could be spawned by this okay. series. But again, it's a completely separate issue. I want to get Dave Helling's perspective, but I want to hear first from Pete Mundo. What was your reaction to that story? What well, was basically a, the, the paper giving up the entire addition to looking back at its own uh, record on race? Well, I can't speak to, you know, how the star covered things 50 years ago for, for obvious reasons. I, I think it's uh, an odd place to be when, uh, as individuals, we are apologizing for what we know 
were bad things that happened in the country's history, whether it's 50, 100, or 200 years ago. Um, you know, obviously, nobody that was is writing at the Star right now was writing back then and was responsible for what took place back then. So I just think it's a weird place to be where uh, people are apologizing for things that they had little to no involvement as as individuals themselves. So I, we're doing a lot of it in America right now. And, um, you know, it doesn't mean you deny your history, but I just think it's an odd place to be. Mayor Quinton Lucas, Dave, said it's a great start. He applauded this Kansas City star, wanted other institutions in our Kansas City area to do the same thing. What change did it really bring about? Well, we don't know yet, but I will say, Nick, I wrote the editorial that went with this package, and one of the things we talked a lot about in that editorial is to look forward. And the criticism that you're looking too much back, I think there may be some lessons to be learned there. But we said, look, we need to do a better uh, job in Kansas City going forward on police reform, economic development, better schools, better health care for the African-American community. And we committed ourselves to sort of saying on top of that, and if that happens, if we follow through on that, then there will be some value there. Let me also want to say uh, uh, quickly to Eric, Toriana Porter wrote a column today about contrasting what happened with uh, white people in Washington and what might have happened with the Black Lives Matter folks. So we're on that, too. Okay. Did you want to finally say something there, Eric? Well, it, you know, it's it's good to go back and they talk about 50 years. It, I can remember it being less than 50 years. I can remember it being a few months ago. It's still the portrayal there. And, it, and again, we get to the point where they have benefited off of it because while they uh, portray uh, the black community in certain lights, that kind of shed shed investors away from the black community so that you don't have the investment in the black community by developers that you have in the white communities because of the way the black community has been portrayed. So I think it's more than just, well, this happened 50 years ago. No, it didn't. It's still happening. In June, the star did an editorial about a shooting on 18th and Vine that happened earlier in the year, and they wrote it like it just happened last week. So now we're trying to get development down here, and it's like, well, do I want to go develop down in some place where they're shooting every week? So I don't think it was 50 years ago. I think it was probably five months ago. And on that, we will say our week has been reviewed. Our thanks to this week's news reviewers. Weekdays from 6 to 10 on KCMO Talk Radio, Pete Mundo. Every day in your Kansas City star, Dave Helling. From the Cole newspaper, Eric Wesson. And Tribune syndicated columnist, Mary Sanchez. I'm Nick Haynes. From all of us here at Kansas City PBS, keep calm and carry on.